Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Three Peas in a Pod. I'm Paul Jarvis, editor of Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin, and today's episode will focus on the US market. Deputy Editor Jonathan Davis will be speaking with our US-based correspondent Sandra McQuain before he and I consider what the future might hold. So Jonathan and Sandra, over to you. Great to have you on the show, Sandra. It's a real pleasure to have you here. You're part of our boots on the ground in America. So we're really looking forward to hearing your digest. And as part of that, over the year, you've spent quite a lot of time at the different regional conferences, which you know touch on different sectors such as water, electric. What's the kind of temperature that you're getting in, in these sectors? You know, the, the, the temperature is um, there's still a lot of enthusiasm about P3s from the public sector. You know, at those conferences, I really see it broken in to the buckets of state transportation departments, higher education, and a lot of municipality. And those tend to be the majority of the audience with a few other genres sprinkled in. Um, you know, probably some of the, the more recent conversations around transitorian development is very interesting. And this idea of whether P3s can really be more than just a single project, but part of either a larger redevelopment effort or, or how do you sort of make them more transformative and powerful than just a single um, aspect. So there's a lot of conversations about how do you do that? There is a lot of just sort of, I think from newer public officials to these conferences just sort of intrigue about what makes a p3 so unique why does it have to be so unique in this sort of standalone why can't we just wrap that into a procurement delivery model um you know why does it why does it have to be something that's just sort of this unique animal why can't it just be another tool in the toolkit and why do we treat it so differently and so i think there's a lot of how do we break it down and just make it part of our standard evaluation of how we want to deliver a project you know it's been interesting you know sort of the hot sectors certainly higher education is a hot sector right now energy you know there's certainly water projects but even with the the seven kind of major p3 and infrastructure conferences that i work with we've moved away a little bit from water and it's that conference has become all about electrification and just the needs on the energy demand so you're gonna see that i think continue to grow is a hot sector we're also seeing you know airports have been kind of hot and cold certainly opportunities i think with the major international airports in the country but not so much with the mid-size and smaller so for instance that conference which has been p3 airports is going to change to a transportation conference this year and certainly p3 will will be a big part of the conversation, but it will look at multiple transportation delivery models and not just surface roads, but really look at airports, rail, and that sort of continuum of of transportation. So I think that's an interesting development. On the private sector side, I think, you know, the biggest thing is you're seeing a lot of robust pipelines. And we hear when we have all the state of the market conversations, people talk about the activity is strong. There's RFPs out there. Their pipelines look good, but getting projects out of the pipeline and to close has been and seems to continue to be a real challenge. And so I think that's going to be a high priority is what what do we have to do different? What do we have to change? What do we have to do to get these things out of the pipeline? And I mean, an example of mine, I was part of a team that we were selected as the preferred uh, bidder on a project with a university. So we interviewed in May, we were selected in I think August, September, and the project still hasn't sort of gotten out of the starting gate yet. So it's sitting in my pipeline, waiting for the contracts to be completed and the work to begin. So I don't know, there's gotta be a way to speed this up. 
Absolutely. We'll come back to trying to convert proposals into actual shovels a little bit later. But on that new authorities focus, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done around education and especially myth busting and just trying to increase the understanding of the model in general. Um, I know you've worked in some of the efforts in there. Can you help kind of share what progress is being made there or, or perhaps even share where there needs to be improvements perhaps are you talking about specifically kind of in with public sector education yeah yes and i know you you know have written some some stories on that and and yes i think there's a lot of effort being made there i'm really intrigued and and they're going to announce the first graduating class in dallas at the p3 conference but AI, AI has been, you know, a, a big thought leader in that area with their certification program, which has been a full year of work by a number of public sector leaders in this space. So I think, you know, that's going to create an army of very skilled, very educated public sector leaders to help, again, be demystifying this idea of P3 for their electeds and the boards and bodies that they serve. We're also seeing with the U.S. Conference of Mayors what they are doing in their partnership with AIAI to um, educate the municipal communities because, you know, it, it's the mayors in this country are on the front lines. They, they see the, the the failing infrastructure, the need for the services. They're, you know, when they're in church, they're hearing about it from the congregants, they're hearing about it when they buy milk in the grocery store, and they are just trying to figure out how to access funding or deliver infrastructure in a new way. And so I definitely think more education is better. That's how I kind of tripped and fell into the P3 industry was through um, one of the boot camps. And it really helped me as a public sector leader understand the model, demystify what does it mean, and, and really helped me try to do a better job of delivering projects. As you said, there's a lot of enthusiasm, but at the same time, the amount of projects that are actually getting to the end has been, has been a little bit tight. Um, but we're also right coming up to the halfway point of IIJA, which was the generator of a lot of that enthusiasm. So how do you think that's gone so far? And what, and what do you think the industry is feeling about that? I, you know, I think mixed. I mean, yes, there's been a lot of money, but the rules around how that money will be released has been very slow to come out. I think the industry as a whole is, my sense is there's some frustration just because the money has, has not come out. And then anytime you have federal resources involved, you know, it just creates another layer of bureaucracy and oversight and rules. And while I think there have been some good things, like for instance, and I know we'll talk a little bit about the Calcasieu Bridge here in Louisiana, but you know, that project wouldn't have happened without the 325 million that came to that project through the IIJA. So while there have been successes stories so far i think they've been fairly limited from my perspective do you think there's appetite for something similar to iij to come after because it's only two and a half years away to 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 the end what what's the sense on what could happen what the what the market could look like after this yeah that's a great question and i'm not sure i have an answer or a crystal ball to tell you, I think, you know, with it being a presidential election year where we see some speed up on the monies coming out, possibly what comes after this, I wish I had a good answer for you, um, but I don't, because I think it's all going to depend on what happens in November in this country and where the priority and the emphasis is on infrastructure. Well, somehow you do have a really great insight, of course, in Louisiana, as you mentioned, and you brought up the I-10 Calcasieu River Bridge project, which 
had quite an astonishing comeback earlier this year. You were right close to that. So can you tell us a little bit what went on there? Yes. So that's, you know, that's been a very interesting project for decades. We've had, you know, President's Promise, a new bridge in Calcasieu. That bridge is at the very end of its lifespan. So the decision was made to go with a P3 through the Department of Transportation. Um, But one of the challenges we have in Louisiana is not only do you have to approve a project being pursued as a P3, once everything's negotiated and the contracts are ready to execute, the legislature has to step back in and approve the project. So we've created a layer of bureaucracy here that can make these projects challenging to get over the finish line. And then we had a very unique situation. Um, This project was coming, you you had your shortlist, you had your preferred bidders, the contracts are ready to go. They're on a tight timeframe because of the financial structure. And then we have a governor who is term limited. We have, uh, and so he's not running for reelection. And then in an unusual situation, our secretary of transportation decides to run for the office of governor and eventually loses to the gentleman that won Jeff Landry. So as Governor Landry comes in, Governor Landry and former Governor Edwards, not a lot of love between those two, um, Governor Edwards being a Democrat, Jeff Landry being a Republican. And it kind of got caught up in this political conundrum where the new governor was not going to let the old governor have a win coming out of office. You also had a transportation secretary who ran against the eventual winner. So, you know, wants to really fly spec what his project was. And even though it was a great project, every legislator told me it was a great project but they were not gonna vote for it at that time until Governor Landry said he was ready for the project to move forward. It had nothing to do at the end of the day, from my perspective with tolls, the merits, the P3 structure, this was simply caught in the eye of a storm of a a perfect political situation. Um, It was an amazing comeback that they were able to go back in and, and restructure it slightly to say, oh, it's wonderful. The truckers and the trucking association is still upset. There's still tolls on them. There's still tolls on the local. But at the end of the day, Governor Landry understood there was no way to deliver this project without a public-private partnership. He also has bigger issues on the horizon in that in Louisiana, Baton Rouge sits on the Mississippi River and we are in desperate need of a third bridge and you could not alienate the infrastructure industry and expect you would ever be able to deliver on another bridge in this state. And so at the end of the day, cooler heads prevailed Kudos to the Calcasieu Bridge Parish. And this is this is a great project for the industry because it's the first time you're gonna toll all the lanes on an interstate. That project has that little nuance as well. So it's good for the industry. I'm glad that everybody, you know, came together in the end. It was a necessary hiccup if you're a Louisiana citizen and, and what we put at risk. And I can tell you there were many other states that were hoping the project didn't come to fruition that wanted that 325 million that was gonna have to go back to the Fed. So in the end, I'm excited to see where it goes. The bond commission approved everything last week. So it looks like it's it's on its way to becoming a real project. And more importantly, the folks in Lake Charles desperately need this new bridge. But listening to that you know, profile of it, it sounds like a very unique cocktail of circumstances, but then, when you think about the impact on the industry, I, I've heard some nervousness about the, the the back and forth about it. Some people look at that as just part of the US market. Sometimes that can happen. Or do you think there will be a lasting impact for, from what happened with I-10 or was it just a one-off? 
I think there was a lot of one-off, but our country is so polarized right now, and the polarization is not just in Washington. You're seeing it at the legislative levels. So certainly, I think it it creates some uncertainty. How do you manage that? I'm a big believer in, you know, you can't control everything political risk, but a really strong political communication strategy is important, and I'm not saying they didn't do that on Calcasieu, but what I see a lot of times happen is everybody thinks of the communication strategy as sort of a one done, oh, we've held our public meeting, or oh, we've done this, so box check, as opposed to realizing that a communication strategy, if it's going to help mitigate political risk, needs to run for the life cycle of the project. And I think so many times the mistakes I see and where I get brought in a lot is to clean up a communication strategy that was never executed or was poorly executed or just brought in to do the one and done and say we did it. And I think about all you can do is try to mitigate political risk. But I think having that understanding that your communication plan, it's got to be very comprehensive. You've got to have somebody mining it. And to me, that communication advisor is as critical as a technical, financial, or legal advisor this day and age in the U.S. Because I think if you can keep the community and business leaders who aren't likely to turn over like your politicians pushing and saying we want this, you can hold your current electeds or your newly electeds on the fire to say, look, this has to get over the finish line. So how do we make that happen? And I think you've got to keep that pressure on. Well, that is a great whistle-stop tour around multiple corners of the market. So it's a difficult question to ask, but what are your predictions for the rest of the year? Yeah, so I was making some notes. I expected you were going to ask that. One area I am really interested to see in predictions is ports. I think um, New Orleans is redoing their port because it's not sufficient for modern carriers. And I, you know, in inland ports are such a necessary and, and, and sort of a hot area as it relates to supply chain. So I'm going to see if, if ports really come to the head of the class. I think that's going to be a big um, sort of area to look at this year. I think the conversation about progressive P3s and trying to mitigate private sector risk and making sure you have off ramps, but that you're able to sort of develop the project over time and, and you know, protect your, your investments and your interests. We're already seeing legislation in Florida to expand the use of progressives. So I'm watching that pretty quickly. Um, I think it will be interesting to watch a number of legislatures to see if they start adopting modifications to their P3. We've seen that in Washington state where they've had that work group that they realized their P3 rules weren't working. And so how do they, how can they deliver infrastructure with this model and what do they need to clean up? You know, right now you have about, um, gosh, I looked it up. I think 11 states that have no P3 authority whatsoever. And a couple of those are starting to file legislation like New Mexico, Rhode Island. Will we see that come into play? So I think there's going to be a lot of focus on policy and how do we take advantage of that? Some other areas, um, as I said, I, I think, you know, airports, I'm not looking to see a lot of activity there, but on the municipal side, courthouses, these sort of urban redevelopment, how does P3 come in to play in that area? As we talked about at the beginning of the conversation with transit oriented, jails is another hotbed and a big need. So I don't know what a P3 jail is going to look like, but I think that could be an interesting category. And then I think energy with the IRA as well as the IJ will, will be one of the, the really hot areas this year.
Well, you paint a really dynamic and full of potential industry. So it's going to be very interesting to see over this year how much of it can be converted into projects, as you said. So thank you so much, Sandra, for that tour. And I look forward to bringing you back on and we can see how those predictions are going. Uh, yes, let's see if I got anything right. Absolutely. Sorry to disturb your podcast. I'm John Gagan, Deputy Editor of Planning, the leading title for those who manage and navigate the planning system. Anyone interested in the latest news about town planning should check out Room 106, our weekly podcast, where we round up the latest news from the sector and take a closer look at the biggest planning stories. This might be the government's latest big policy announcement, a significant High Court judgment, or the progress of a planning bill through Parliament. So check out Room 106 wherever you get your podcasts. Well, thank you, Jonathan and Sandra, for that roundup. Uh, that was really interesting. I think what caught my attention in particular was um, Sandra's mention about the frustration around it being an individualised tool in some ways. That you know, it's that that famous phrase, isn't it? That uh, you've done one P three, you've done one P three, and that's clearly causing frustration. I think on the public sector side in certain parts of the the country, and you know, you can kind of understand that. I think, can't you? That people see this model they see it working elsewhere and say well let's just transplant it and and use it because that would surely be the the quickest and easiest thing to do and i think that's something that perhaps the industry needs to work on a bit more and you know you're never going to get to a position where you can just transplant it exactly project for project and just sort of create a a full cookie cutter version i think we tried that in the uk uh, for a while it's had its problems so that's that's definitely something for the market to consider though yeah, definitely. But at the same time, you know, it's a very decentralised country. There's lots of individuality about different states and the way that their legislation is set up. But I recently spoke to some of the officials at Tennessee DOT, and they were saying that they are, you know, looking and learning from other DOTs and projects that have happened in the past as they create their pipeline, particularly GDOT and um, the work that's been going on in Georgia. So when it comes to coalescing and around one particular set of documents, it doesn't seem like that's ever really going to happen. But in terms of lessons learned and helping to push the market forward and develop, there definitely is those peer-to-peer conversations. And we do see you know, the Build America Bureau playing key roles. Um, but whether it will ever come down to, like you say, a centralised approach, it, it doesn't seem like it. But then hearing Sandra talk about all the different sectors and the green shoots that are around, it does feel like there is stuff coming forward, despite the fact that it can be a little bit whack-a-mole at times. Yeah, it's that education piece as well, isn't it? That people in the public sector in particular need to get their head around what this P3 thing is and understand that it's not just a set of documents. It's much more than that. And I think, again, actually going back to where we are in the UK on expiry at the moment, um, you know, there's a lot more understanding now around the fact that contracts that were signed 20, 30 years ago was for something that was quite theoretical. And now it's talking about a living, breathing building that you're trying to deal with while at the same time dealing with these contractual arrangements. So there has to be some flex there. And that's probably a, a lesson that that is perhaps useful for um, the American market to learn as well, that there needs to be that sort of more willingness to think about the principles perhaps and we've had conversations with people who say they are looking at creating more principles-based rules and regulations or guidelines perhaps is a better way of describing it to get a, a certain number of projects off the ground and to help people work out what they need to do and you know create almost like a, a suite whereby you you pull down the different bits that you need for a particular project particular sector as well but it's also is encouraging at the same time to hear 
like the first cohort of AIAI uh, P3 public sector professionals is, is coming through. And we've consistently seen regional accelerators and initiatives that are looking just to help upskill, to help make those early decisions because it can be intimidating and also it can be especially intimidating when you feel like the only people to go to are the private sector who potentially might be selling to you at the same time so that role of you know non-profit and public sector focused upskilling is really fundamental and it does look like there's progress being made on that front and that's shown by the new authorities that are coming forward and municipality focused projects the council of mayors is often pointed to and sandra referred to that is a really really exciting new development because that opens up a whole new front of projects not just a particular area it's a totally different focus yeah and actually that kind of brings me i think to to the next point that i thought was quite interesting in the conversation is which is around the iija um because obviously that has stimulated a lot of activity not all the time necessarily in, in P3, but certainly in infrastructure generally. And actually, I think what it's done beyond the money that it's put forward is to stimulate interest in infrastructure and make people, whether it's public sector, whether it's private sector, whether it's just the public at large, perhaps more cognizant of the need for infrastructure and what infrastructure can look like and what needs to be delivered. And I think, you know, in the conversation, you talked about how you were kind of halfway through the AIJA's term of five years. And I know there's been quite a lot of things. People now now are now starting to think, well, yeah, we're, we're over halfway. What, what comes next? Mm-hmm. Just as an example, the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, or AASHTO, recently spoke about this and said that IIJA can't just be a one-time shot in the arm. We're at a very difficult point, aren't we? Particularly, I guess, in election years, perhaps presidential election years, perhaps not the best time to be uh, thinking about these things. But it's going to be difficult to get a very divided, perhaps even more divided now than, than a few years ago, Congress to come together and actually agree. You know, five years ago, we said a trillion dollars. We put that money into infrastructure. Actually, let's put another trillion dollars in. That's going to be very difficult to convince a lot of people it's on that. It's going to be very interesting to see how people kind of reflect on IIJA at the end of it and, and what way people measure its success and on what metrics. Because if you take the P3 industry at, at the moment, the number of projects that IIJA money has actually flowed into is, is relatively small. But when you zoom out, the impact on infrastructure on a whole has been absolutely huge and you see the demand for you know commodities and and things it's clearly fueling a, a big upsurge in infrastructure so how it's going to be measured will, will be really interesting but what comes next i've heard some in the p3 industry say that the whole point of iija was to help upskill and give new tools like p3s to authorities to be able to sustainably develop their pipeline afterwards but we've also heard calls for a federal infrastructure bank of some kind or an increased role for state infrastructure banks to fill that role. So it really has upped that conversation, I think, in terms of that long-term sustainable overhaul because whilst 1.2 trillion is an astronomical sum, when it comes to overhauling America's infrastructure, it barely scratches the surface. So that is a longer-term project than five years. So whether that is through new tools like P3s or infrastructure banks or another big funding package it remains yet to be seen but there clearly is a lot of focus and it has pushed the conversation forward 
Sandra mentioned some progressive expansion. Uh, we've seen in Florida some moves towards longer terms for toll roads, which could help enable a different you know, set of projects to come forward. Washington State are, are reviewing their statutes. Also in Colorado, you know, it's expanded to housing and, and new areas. So legislation is absolutely fundamental. At the same time, we've seen legislation kind of trip over. We've seen in New Mexico, the House pass some Peth legislation, but it's always tripped up and is having to start again. It was recently reintroduced. So it's looking like there's some big fundamental changes and they will filter down over time, but it will take work to actually get those in place. And I think that's the sense that I got from Sandra is there's a lot of potential in the market. There's a lot of interest in the market, but converting it into real projects and real progress, I think it is taking some work. Yeah, and it's maybe partly down to that uh, silent P or fourth P in, in P3, which is obviously politics. So we'll just have to keep an eye on, on how that goes. And as you're saying, very um, interesting year election-wise. So see where that takes us. Looking forward to it. And just on the point around legislation and the fact that I think Sandra mentioned, obviously, P3C happening in Dallas. There'll be um, a session on that. Uh, just worth saying that we'll all be at the event in Dallas. So do get in touch to meet up there. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, Don't forget to leave a review and we'll see you next time.